three passages that fit together under the title, Knowing the Ways of God. And in the Exodus passage, beginning at verse 12, we are going to read this first, and then Psalm 103.7, and Hebrews 3, 7 through 11, and verse 19. Then Moses said to the Lord, See thou dost say to me, Bring up this people. But thou thyself hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Moreover, thou hast said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now for, therefore I pray thee, if I have found favor in thy sight, let me know thy ways. Would you underline that if you have a pencil or a pen? Let me know thy ways, that I may know thee, so that I may found favor in thy sight. Consider, too, that this nation is thy people. And God said, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. Now, Psalm 107, 103, verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts, that is, if you have a King James, I believe it's his works to the sons of Israel. And now Hebrews chapter 3, verse, verses 7 through 11. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where their fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for forty years. Therefore I was angry with this generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 19. And so we see that they were not able to enter, that is, rest, because of unbelief. Now, you put these three passages together, this is what happens. Moses presents himself to the Lord. And he makes this one petition just before he begins this tremendous task that God has given him. This is the petition. That you show me your ways. And the psalmist says that God answered his prayer and he showed him his ways. And the writer to the book of Hebrews says that the children of Israel... For 40 years knew God's works, but they did not know His ways. Now if you look at that carefully, it's easy to see that there are two ways of knowing God. There is a knowing of God's works, and there is a knowing of God's ways. And one is elementary and preparatory, and the other is personal and deep and rich 
and intimate. And the psalmist really brings this out clearly when he says in essence that Moses knew something that the children of Israel didn't. Moses knew the ways of God and the children of Israel knew only the works of God. And the writer to the Hebrews says that God was grieved because for 40 years they knew His works but not His ways. Therefore, they were always going astray and they would not enter into His rest. And He makes knowing God's works without knowing God's ways tantamount to unbelief. Now everybody in this room this morning knows the works of God. I mean a casual observer of life is to know the works of God. I mean a casual reader of Scripture is to know the works of God. But not everybody here this morning knows the ways of God. And one of the greatest needs, I think, in this congregation this morning is to move from the realm of knowing God's works to the realm of knowing God's ways. And there are some implications to that. In fact, there are four implications of the difference between knowing God's works and knowing God's ways, and each builds to the other. For example, the difference in knowing God's works and knowing God's ways is the difference between defeat and victory. And that's what he means when he talks about entering into rest. That's a familiar and favorite Old Testament or biblical word, rest. And it means to enter into a condition of the ceasing of the energies of the flesh and desisting from the energies of the flesh where one has relied upon his own ingenuity and his own resources and he begins to trust and depend absolutely upon the power of God and the resources of heaven. And what the scripture is saying in essence is that as long as you just know my works but you never know my ways, you will always try to live out your Christian life by your own energy and you'll never tap into the power of God. And the difference is, the difference between being a testifier and a teacher, see. For if you know only the works of God, you're just a testifier of those works. And the fifth chapter of the book of Hebrews says that there must come a time in every believer's life when he no longer has to be taught, where he's no longer a testifier of the works of God. He becomes a teacher of the ways of God where he moves from the realm of, of an understanding of his works and testifying of that to the realm of understanding who does the work and, and, and teaches of that. Now, you remember the boy, the young man that Jesus healed who was born blind? And it made the Pharisees furious because Jesus did that on the Sabbath day. And the big problem was that he... He taught, he, he performed that miracle on the Sabbath. And so they got in this big, um, you know, uproar and conflict about it. And so somebody asked this young man, he said, what about this man who, who, who did this? 
and the, and, the, and the young man said, I don't know anything about him. All I know is that whereas, whereas I was blind, now I see. The only thing I can do is just testify of what he did for me. Now that's a wonderful thing. As a matter of fact, I suppose that what each of us needs to do is just be able to just give testimony of what God has done for us. But if you call that young man back 20 years later and you ask him the same question, Tell me about this man who gave you your sight. And all he could do was say this. Oh, I don't know anything about him. All I know is that once I was blind, now I see. It wouldn't be much of a testimony. See? Now there's some of you who have, have only one thing to testify. And that is what God did for you sometime in the past. See? And you're able to testify of that. But when asked, tell me about the one, describe, explain the one who did this to you, we're absolutely helpless. And there's not much of a testimony in that. I mean, you know what he did, but you don't know him. A few months ago, I, uh, I decided I would take my Sunday school class, and I divided the class up between, I put, the, uh, you know, I got a, the, the ladies and, and the men, and I asked each one to take a name, you know, in my class and, and do something special for that person occasionally. You know, just, you know, drop them a card or give them a call or whatever you wanted to do, just to kind of get to know one another better. And there was a lady in our class who hadn't really been, in, you know, here in our church very long. Not many people knew her. And she just took that seriously. And she began to write this other lady whose name she had and she sent her cards and she called her and, 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 and the lady knew who she was by name. She didn't know her. And so one Sunday morning I was up there getting ready to speak and she came up to me and kind of whispered, you know, kind of secretly said, could you point out, and she called this lady's name, said, could you point out this lady to me? She said, she is the most wonderful person. She does all these wonderful things for me. He said, I know her by name, but I don't think I'd recognize her. I don't know who she is. Could you point her out to me and tell me who she is? So I did. I just kind of, you know, I whispered. I said, okay, back here in the back, you know, second row from the back, that, that lady there. See. Now, what we all know is, we, we know who, do, who, who is doing this. But if we were asked, you tell me something about this person who has given you your sight. We have nothing to say. Which leads us to the fourth implicate, to the third implication. And that is that the difference between knowing his works and knowing his ways is this that we know when we know his works, we know what he does. When we know his ways, we know the one who does it. Now I know the works of Mark Wright. I mean, he's been over here, you know, here over a couple of years, you know, and I, I've observed his works. He does a good job. Don't you agree? A couple of them do, Mark. Right? And, I mean, let me tell you about his works. He has marvelous, uh, if you're here for the first time, you didn't hear him sing a solo. He, he has a marvelous solo voice, and he does a great job with the choir, what he has to work with. <laughs> I mean, I mean, no, he, he does a great job with the choir, and he, he works with our, 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 our media, media and let me, let me tell you, I know him, but I know his works. But his wife knows his ways. Now, would you, would you like to come up here, Pat? And, uh, okay. Now, she, she knows his way. I, I promise you that, 
that she knows the, you know, uh, knows the situation a lot better than I do. She knows more personally, isn't that, I'm sure. Now, if I just know his works, then, you know, Mark might come up to me in a couple of weeks and he'd say, Gerald, I'm not going to sing Sunday and I'm not going to direct the choir. I'm just going to take a couple of weeks off and I'm not going to do anything. And all I know is that he's not working. That's all I know, he's just not working. But Pat could come up to me and say, now pastor, let me tell you what's going on here. Let me tell you what, what's, what's the motivation of this decision. Let me tell you why he does, he's doing what he's doing. And she's going to give me a whole new insight, a whole new perspective, you see. Now, if all I know about Mark Wright is his works, then if he's not working, you know, I can get pretty frustrated and I can get angry. I say, why isn't that guy here doing it? Why isn't he working? That's all I know about him is his works. Hasn't that something like that happened between some of you and God? I mean, he's withheld his works and because you don't know his ways, you're frustrated and some of you are even angry. And you can't understand why this God is not doing something in your life because all you know is His works. And that leads to the fourth implication. It's this. That the difference is, the difference between an infatuation and love. Now here's a teenage girl and there's a football hero in school. And what she knows about him is what she hears in the halls, you know. And what she hears in the halls is this guy is a super ball player. I mean, he catches passes and runs for touchdowns. and I mean, he's the hero. And all of a sudden, one day, he calls her on the phone, asks her for a date. I mean, she's on cloud nine. And she's thinking, man, what a deal. I'm going with the football hero, this guy that scores touchdowns, catches passes, and runs for touchdowns. Man, you can't, about the middle of the season, he decides he doesn't want to play football. He's going to concentrate on his grades, and so he just quits, and he just drops out. And something happens to their relationship because he's no longer the football hero. He's kind of a quitter. And because she knows nothing more about him than his works, and because she's just infatuated with his works, something happens to the relationship when he no longer does what she's infatuated with. Now watch this. What happened to Israel was they became infatuated with the works of God. I mean, he strode into Egypt and he caused these plagues to happen. I mean, the genuine king came and he brought Pharaoh to his knees and the angel of death came that night and, and, and because they were sheltered behind the blood, they escaped death and things were going great. But the scripture says, strangely enough, that he took them on this circuitous route right over to the, dead, to the Red Sea and they were surrounded there. They were cut off between them and, 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 and death. The pursuing Egyptians was this gigantic sea. And all of a sudden, no longer was God such a great God. I mean, as long as his works were benevolent and what they anticipated and what they wanted, he was, he was wonderful. But now they begin to murmur and complain against Moses and God because all they knew of him was his works. 
It's what happened to Jesus. I mean, as long as he was healing diseases and and feeding hungry people, I mean, they were infatuated by him, and they came out of the woodwork to follow him. The greatest crowds of people in the history of mankind flocking after Jesus. This man whose works were marvelous, and they were infatuated with his works. And then one day, Jesus began to talk about loving him more than father and mother and their own lives, see. And all of a sudden, when he confronted them with the fact that there is a difference between an infatuation with one's works and a love for that one person, they turned and they left him alone. Now let me ask you a question this morning. Do you know his ways? And could it be that the reason why you have become disillusioned with God is because you have lived with an infatuation with what he's been doing in your life, but when he withholds what you want of life, then that relationship wanes. Could that be? Could it be? Now, there are two means, I hope you're still with me because we you know, we've been on the runway, now we won't take off here. There are two methods by which one knows his ways. Two means or methods by which one knows his ways. Number one, by dealing with God directly. Now when, God, when Moses said to God, I want you to tell me how I'm going to do this, God said, my presence will be with you. In other words, this is the way you're going to know my ways. You're going to have my presence with you. You and you alone. There's an interesting little passage of Scripture that's kind of tucked away in the 73rd Psalm. And it says this, listen carefully. God's ways are in the sanctuary. Now the 73rd Psalm was a, is a psalm of despair the man who wrote the 73rd Psalm was filled with despair. And the reason why was because God had withheld his ways, his works from him. And he looked around and he saw all these ungodly people growing fat and prosperous. And he himself was not prospering. And so he said, I was almost despairing of life until I went into the sanctuary. Now the sanctuary is the place where man meets God alone. He said, I was almost despairing of life until I went one-on-one -on -one with God. And then I found out His ways. Now listen to me carefully, folks. The only way you will ever know God's ways is to deal with God directly. And that's what God is doing in the experience with Israel. He's bringing, He's orchestrating these experiences of life until, until they're forced to face God, deal with God on a one-on-one -on -one relationship. That's why Jacob is so important in Israel's history. This guy was a, a real con man. His name means deceiver. 
And he was such a trickster, such a deceiver. I mean, he just reached in his bag of tricks and pulled out a trick and he, could, he made his way through life. He tricked his brother out of his own birthright and out of his own blessed, the father's blessing. And he got off out in Mesopotamia and got some of his dose of his own medicine, but he worked it around. He tricked his father-in-law and he heads back home and he hears that his brother, he has cheated or tricked, is on his way to meet him. And Jacob that night... In, in Bethel reaches down into his bag of tricks for one trick, one last trick, and finds he's gone to the well too often. The bag is empty. And so he sends all of his family, are you listening? He sends all of his family across the little brook Jabbok, and that night he did what every man and woman has to do at some point in life. He met God alone. And he wrestled with him. And the long, the bottom line, the long and short of that meeting was that he came out of that one-on-one -on -one encounter with God different than he'd ever been before. He even had a limp. And once you, in, once you deal with God directly, you can't, you can't hide that from anyone. There's an unmistakable evidence of a person who, in, who deals with God directly. And so he came out of that meeting with a new name because he had dealt with God one on one. And so Jesus said to Pilate, when Pilate said, are you the king? Jesus looked at him and said, do you say that of yourself or did somebody tell you? I want to ask you a deep personal question. You need to hear this. Is what you know about God, what you found out from God directly, or just what somebody tells you? Is what you know about prayer what you read in Andrew Murray's book on prayer? Is all you know about praise what Jack Taylor told you about praise? Is all you know about theology, about God, is what Isaac Watts and, 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 and Fanny Crosby and B.B. McKinney have told you? When you say these things about God, do you know that for yourself or did someone else tell you? There's no way that man will ever know the ways of God until he gets with God alone. And so F.W. Meyer has one of his characters in a poem, Saul of Tarsus, say, Oh, if I could say, you truly would believe me. If I could say what I have seen, but how can I tell, and how could you receive it? How, till he bringeth you where I have been. You can't know it because of what somebody else tells you. Now listen to me carefully because I don't want to be misunderstood. That's where I believe the role of Christian counseling comes into play. Because counseling, Christian counseling, it's not somebody telling you the answer to your problems and solving them for you. Well, let's turn in our psych book to 200, page 243. There's the answer to that question. That's not the way it is. The role of Christian counseling is to put you in touch with God so with His power and grace you can work out your own problems. The role of Christian counseling is to put you into a position where you will deal with God yourself. Second, not only is God's ways in the sanctuary, Psalm 77 says, 
that God's ways are in the sea, S-E-A. God's ways are in the sea. Now, to the Jew, the sea was a mystery. He was not a mariner. The Jew was a, he was a hard, dry ground man. The sea represented a mystery, a silence, an enigma to the Jew. That's why John says in that marvelous revelation of 21st chapter, there'll be no more sea, S-E-A, when you get to heaven. There'll be no more mysteries, no more enigmas of life. A mystery. Now watch this. When you put your boat out into the sea, there are no landmarks there for you to follow. There's no path for you to follow. There are no signposts along the way. There are no tracks where somebody else has been. When you put your boat out into the sea, you go by trust. Now what the psalmist is saying is this, that the way you know the ways of God is that He brings you through to those mysteries of life where all you have is just your trust. And so you say to somebody, you've been there before, show me the landmarks. And there are none. And how does the mariner, how does he make it? Let me tell you how he makes it. By looking to the sky. I asked the robin as from branch to branch he sprang. What makes your breast so round and red? He said, looking up to the sun, he said. I saw the roses one by one unfold their crimson petals to the sun. Whence come your colors there so bright? And the rose is answered, looking up to the light. I saw the violets wet and blue sparkle like diamonds in the morning dew. I asked, whence come your colors there so shy? And the violet answered, looking to the sky. I heard the thrush as his silver note sprang like a song from an angel's throat. How can you sing in the twilight dim? And the thrush answered, looking up to him. And I saw the old saint, heaven bent, three score for her master spent. How are you happy all the day? And the old saint answered, looking up to him who is the only way. How does the mariner make it? by looking to the sky and shooting stars. And that's where the word disaster comes. Disaster, dis meaning without, astros meaning stars, hence astronomy or astrology. A disaster is a person who doesn't have a pole star. How do we know the ways of God? Let me tell you how we know the ways of God. He takes His hand away from our life and there are no more, no more evidences of His works and all of a sudden we're cast out on the mysteries and all we have left is the pole star of our faith. And there's a marvelous new novel out called Confessions of a Child of This Century. It's the story of a man who entered Harvard, law, Harvard Business School to make 
a success in the business world. He got disillusioned. He dropped out of school to become a Don Juan, and he kept record of every score of every sexual exploitation. And it wasn't long, predictably, until he became disillusioned with that. And so he thought, I'll need a cause, and he joined the CIA, and after a while he became frustrated with that. And he thought, well, I'll just pile up some money. And so he piled up the money, a skillful and brilliant, sharp young man, but he didn't know what to do with the pile. And finally he decided the way to live is by simple trust. In the last scene of the book, he's sitting around a table, just a simple table and a little flat. And he's holding hands at dinner with his wife and child, and he says, Now, the tune is our favorite. The tune is a familiar one. Let's sing it together. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. And the point of that novel is this, that the way to know the ways of God is to become a hand-holding child. I need to say it again. The way He teaches us His ways is removing every trapping until all we have is His hand. The way before me is an uncharted sea. The past lies behind me. Great waves foam at the prow. The sails bend before the wind. And sometimes I know not when or how all will be revealed. But until then, content am I to sail on the orders sealed. And just trust Him. Simply trust Him. And it just may be that God is removing everything from your life. So you'll just trust Him and enter into His rest. Let's pray. Our Father, what a great truth from Your Word. What a great desire to cease from knowing the way, the works, to know the ways. I pray, Father, that in this congregation we'll move from the realm of the works to the realm of the ways. For Jesus' sake. There are three invitations this morning. As the organist begins that song, I Need Thee Every Hour, it reminds me that the greatest need of this hour is the need to have Jesus Christ as your only, as your Savior. To trust Him and Him alone. And I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat in a moment and come trusting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. There may be some who need to come this morning to place their life in the church. Or those of us who need to come to say, I come today to recommit my life to Christ. I've always been 
a testifier. I want to know more than that. I want to know more than just what He's done. I want to know the one who's done it. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And as Mark leads our choir, I invite you to come while we stand to sing.